Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Today was day 39 of the Mass Casualty Commission proceedings and the day started off kind of slow really but it gathered uh, some steam in the afternoon. We saw an outburst and a walkout by a couple of the family participants and then it really uh, had the heat turned up in the later part of the afternoon when there was a presentation on some of the communications going on behind the scenes within the RCMP ranks and some references to uh, the Prime Minister, Federal Public Safety Minister and uh, some of the urgings and uh, suggestions that they had as far as public communications go and really something that strikes to the heart of why the RCMP is under such scrutiny and is uh, taking some real damaging uh, hits as a result of their own behavior. So I'll, I'll get to that uh, in my description, but I'll start with the first part of the day, which was a presentation by Mass Casualty Commission lawyer Jillian Natal. Uh, I think we've seen before, but it's uh, hard to keep track of all of the lawyers for the commission at times. She started out by uh, giving a presentation on support services that were available to uh, victims and uh, victims' family members. I mean, after the uh, after the shootings, there was uh, this is all done through victim services run through the Department of Justice, the Provincial Department of Justice, and they have what's called a criminal injuries counseling program, and the report suggested that. 189 files had been opened and up to $500,000 was awarded, but only a quarter of that amount has actually been used by people that have been able to connect with a counselor and receive uh, some help that way. A couple of the issues seem to be one is that the, the rate, the maximum rate that the uh, program pays is $85 an hour. I understand many counselors would be more than that, 100, 150, um, depending on uh, where you go. Although uh, certainly, uh, I'm sure some must have taken the 85, uh, which isn't uh, isn't um, that bad of a rate. Although some have had to top up with their own resources. But the other issue is just finding a counselor that is uh, qualified to handle this kind of a case, and I think that seems to be the issue with uh, such a small uptake in. Um, people receiving the service or maybe they just weren't finding it helpful it wasn't quite clear from the presentation what the reason was so a little bit of speculation there there were 271 RCMP members involved in the response to uh, the mass casualty of those 70 took uh, sick leave of some duration Interesting. That seems like a lot, and uh, it is, I think. But we also heard from Corporal Mills that he didn't think there was a great deal of support for the ERT squad members in particular who were kind of forced to go back to work. Uh, but certainly some were able to take uh, take some leave. Other officers were brought in from Ontario and Quebec, which uh, unfortunately caused somewhat of a COVID-19 outbreak at the time within the RCMP ranks here and caused some other strains and stresses on the uh, ability to police Nova Scotia. There was some discussion as well about other, uh, some fundraising efforts that were done privately, uh, vigils and uh, GoFundMe pages for uh, the victims' families and, that and such. So uh, there was some discussion of that first thing in the morning. 
Then we had a witness, and that witness was the family liaison officer for the RCMP, and his name is Corp, uh, Constable Wayne Skipper Bent. Now, the skipper part was in his actual title, and on. I always think if you uh, if your nickname is established well enough, particularly a fun name like Skipper, that uh, you must be a likable person. Uh, probably a good person for the family liaison role, although there were some criticisms of uh, him as well. And as I'll get to, the uh, some some of the family members had a big problem with uh, Constable Bent. Uh, really no role definition for the family liaison officer. Uh, really, it's supposed to be a communications uh, role, but in Constable Bent's case, turned into much more. I mean, he was dealing with uh, trying to arrange for the homes to be cleaned, uh, dealing with pets and other animals, dealing with insurance companies, helping out people with their claims, just trying to, in his words, trying to help people in whatever way possible. He was actually part of the uh, the major crimes unit and was in, you know, he, he was the family liaison officer, but he was also sent in to do some uh, policing work. In addition to that, he was sent in, uh, I think... He found uh, the body of Emily Tuck. He also went to the home of the Bonds. That was a bit of an issue because we heard from Nick Dorrington that he drove by on the Sunday morning and didn't notice the door ajar of at the Bonds' home, uh, which is in Cobquid Court at the so the southern uh, water side of the community. But then, when uh, Constable Bent arrived. Uh, his observation was that the door was open and actually that Peter Bond was uh, laying in the doorway. So hard to know if there's a real contradiction there, but perhaps uh, Constable Dorrington just really didn't see it. But in any event, that's uh, something that council may pick up on. The uh, difficult part was in cross-examination. Uh, Michael Scott from Patterson Law, who represents uh, Nick Beaton, among others, was asking about the vehicle search of Kristen Beaton and then uh, giving the vehicle back and there's some discrepancies and things there from what Constable Bent was saying and what what Nick Beaton um, remembers from the interactions a couple of things one one is giving the vehicle back but then asking questions the the questions suggested that Constable Bent had asked uh, Nick Beaton, well, he wanted, he had to keep the phone because he wanted to check her phone, that is, because he wanted to check to see, you know, if there was any evidence there that might help them uh, figure out what happened. And he had asked whether uh, the possibility that Kristen Beaton may have known the killer, uh, you know, they're trying to figure out why he was killing certain people and not everybody else. But uh, uh, Nick Beaton was very offended by this. Uh, I think understood the suggestion to be well maybe there was an intimate relationship there later uh, constable bent tried to clarify that no he just meant any kind of a relationship work association whatever um, but at one point uh, nick beaton uh, got up and was yelling you could hear this over the live stream uh, th that you know you're under oath up there and uh, he was he was uh, quite vocal I think his mother uh, as well, but uh, mostly Nick Beaton. And uh, Commissioner McDonald uh, asked him, told him to be quiet. Uh, he didn't. And then the commission took a break and came back. And when they came back, 
um, Michael Scott indicated he had no more questions. And so they were going on to the next lawyer. But uh, then uh, Nick Beaton got up again because uh, Constable Bent tried to then clarify what he meant. He didn't he wasn't trying to allude or suggest that there was any kind of an intimate relationship. Just asking the question if there was any kind of a relationship, which asked in the right way certainly would be a fair question um, when you don't know anything about the circumstances. Uh, but um, you can understand a husband being offended by any kind of suggestion like that as well. Uh, Michael Scott was in a delicate position there, and it's a tough spot for the lawyer. I mean, you know, you're an officer of the court, so you want to, you know, make sure everybody maintains decorum. You always tell, you know, like your client, if there's a, you know, the decision's coming down or anything like that, don't say anything, don't, you know, don't make an outburst. However, you don't want it. You also don't want to take sides against your client. You know, it's their case, it's their life, and if they want to make an outburst or yell at the judge or the commissioner in this case, it's not a court, uh, then, you know, so be it. That's that's up to them. Sometimes, in fact, it's good to let them go a little bit, go for go on for a little bit, and let the the commissioners in this case judge in other cases and the public in this case understand the level of frustration that has built up and understand uh, you know what what these people are going through so it can be very powerful if it's deployed uh, rarely okay so uh, that was so there was a uh, there was that uh, there were two outbursts one before the break and then one after when constable bent tried to sort of explain what he was trying to say earlier uh so that was um that was a little a little drama in the afternoon then you know it seemed like things uh things were kind of winding down a little bit but there was this other presentation and it was a very important presentation as it turned out which was public communications from the rcmp and the government i'll have to read the foundational document i believe it's been posted now to the website and I'll read this. So there's no commission. There's no proceedings tomorrow. There is Thursday. I might come back with more comments on this after I read this in more in depth. But these were public communications from the RCMP and the government. So this was sort of senior level RCMP communications. So the press conferences that were held in Nova Scotia, interviews that Commissioner Lucky uh, did, Brenda Lucky, and some of the issues involved there. Uh, so the the presentation started off talking about how the RCMP generally does public communications and they try to avoid, um, you know, there's all kinds of privacy concerns. They can't even say that people are related. They have to just say known to each other. They can't say domestic violence. They have to say, you know, uh, you know, a woman in a house assaulted by a man. Uh, they can't interfere with an active investigation. All these considerations that they, they feel they need to. Um, they, they need to have in mind but there's a there's some very misleading things that took place so the initial tweet after uh, Gabriel Wartman was shot and killed by uh, Constable Hubley in a video which we can all see now the initial tweet by the RCMP said that Wartman was taken into custody well I mean he was dead they knew that too that he was dead and they didn't say that uh, then the first press conference, it was uh, Chief Superintendent Chris Leather said that there were more than 10 fatalities. First of all, right away, they didn't even say uh, anything about civilians. They only talked about Constable Heidi Stevenson's death. When they got 
asked a question whether there was anybody else involved, uh, then Chief Superintendent Leather says yes, more than 10. Well, they knew already at that point that there was at least 17 uh, people killed. The most damaging part, though, is this other, you know, Commissioner Lucky uh, was pressuring the Nova Scotia RCMP to release the details on the firearms that the gunman used during the shooting spree. And the reason for this pressure was she had promised Prime Minister Trudeau and Public Safety Minister Bill Blair that she would. And the reason she promised that was that they wanted it to be used to support their gun legislation, firearms control legislation, in which they were going to be banning certain uh, types of firearms, including uh, including at least one that the, the perpetrator had. The issue with this is he never had a license. He never bought them legitimately. They were bought illegally, uh, smuggled in over the U.S.-Canadian uh, border, and uh, possessed illegally. So, you know, banning them from legal possession isn't going to fix that. So... Uh, so that was an issue as well, a big issue, uh, and I'm sure Commissioner Lucky is going to have to be answering for that um, sooner rather than later, hopefully. I mean, she's set to testify, I think, later in the summer, but uh, hard to imagine this issue lingering that long without her saying something. So we'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if the Prime Minister's asked about this as well. The uh, Oh, yeah, so then other things that they got wrong or were misleading... I mean, they said that they only learned about the replica vehicle in the morning. They say key details on it, but the suggestion was that they only learned that it was a replica RCMP vehicle in the morning of the 19th, when we all now know that that was information that was provided almost immediately uh, to the police by Andrew McDonald. And then, uh, then the last press briefing was the 28th of April. Uh, 2020 and there's been nothing since so really not much information coming from the RCMP in any form uh, so really this is uh, you know self-inflicted damage on their part they knew the facts they wouldn't communicate them accurately uh, they wouldn't they weren't forthcoming with uh, details um, you know they you know at one point um, there was a comment that, oh, uh, Superintendent Campbell, I think, said that he thought that an ambulance alert was issued, but was had to be corrected, that no, it was sent out by Twitter and, and Facebook. So uh, lots of issues with the RCMP communications. Uh, many of those things we're aware of. The big news out of today, though, is that uh, Commissioner Lucky was trying to pressure the RCMP into releasing details on the firearms at the behest of the Prime Minister and uh, politicizing the, the tragedy in the early days. Uh, so I will see what the fallout of that might be. Like I said, no uh, no proceedings tomorrow. There will be uh, proceedings Thursday. It's going to be a roundtable uh, discussion on um, interoperability among agencies, communications uh, among agencies, which isn't quite clear exactly what that will cover, but we'll see. And then an expert report on supporting survivors, and uh, so we'll hear from somebody about that. All right, so um, an interesting day as it turned out, and uh, so we'll be back on Thursday. In the meantime, thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share with a friend, and uh, we'll see you next time.